opportunity to serve uh, to be able to go and do that. Mr. Neil Anderson uh, filled in for me. I uh, listened to his message last week on the podcast. It's pretty good. Um, so when you're a preacher and you've got to bring somebody in, you kind of hope they're just like not as good. Um, you know what I'm saying? He's like a little bit worse, but he was really good. And um, so I thought maybe I was not going to be invited back. Uh, so I came into practice because I thought, gosh, after Neil, I better get my practice on. And that's, no, what's that? No, 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 no. I, no, man, when you're talking about vacation, you've got to take it off. So I was coming into practice. I was feeling a little down. And that's when I realized that this was left on my pulpit. Would you like to hold this? No, she won't even look at me now. Some jean shorts left out in the... How'd y'all let him do that to me? I'm kidding. I actually, I came in on Monday. I put this on the pulpit. I took a picture. I said, Neil, I give you the pulpit one time and this is what you do? You got to have fun. Oh, he did a great job and I'm so thankful for them. So thankful for all of you. Um, We're continuing our series today uh, called The Journey of Discipleship. And what we know is that faith in Jesus is not limited to Sunday. It's not something that we do uh, when we come to church. It's a lifelong pursuit, and the goal that God has for our lives is that we give our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, and all that we are to follow after Jesus. Uh, Seeing as how the football season has begun, one of of my uh, fellow pastors has put it this way, Uh, Jesus doesn't want us to be, thank you, son. Cheers. Uh, Jesus doesn't want us to be fans. He wants us to be followers. And that's what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. So we'll be in Luke 16 today. But first I want to tell you this. Um, uh, If you don't know me very well, you can tell I cut up a little bit. My house is kind of like a 24-7 sketch comedy show. We're bound to break out randomly in song and everybody will go, oh, it's singing time and we'll all do it together. Uh, how many of you with uh, children, grandchildren, or kids around your life know Mickey Mouse Clubhouse? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's not lie. It's a show. You can watch it. Uh, and they always call this little machine thing and they say, oh, toodles. Well, Nora's running sketch comedy show is oh, poodles. And then she barks like a dog. My wife has a running gag. One day, Jackson will tell you about our monster cable joke. Uh, We can go on for about 30 minutes back and forth on that one. My wife, Amanda, has this ongoing bit. It's called Bad Advice from Mom. And part of it is, um, you know, how many of you just love getting advice from your parents? Like, you usually realize 15 years later that it's good. But in the moment, you don't... So just to kind of, you know, show that we're still fun, Amanda gives the kids bad advice from mom every now and then just to kind of lighten the mood. Uh, For example, don't forget when you get your lunch, just throw it away and don't eat it. Bad advice from mom. Or you don't brush your teeth today. You can always buy new ones. Bad advice from mom. And she gets funnier. Um, I don't have permission to share any further. I think there's copyright issues. Um, she's trying to make a blog. Um, and so, so it's like I, I, I thought about bad advice from mom as I open up Luke chapter 16, and I hear Jesus tell this story. 
about a lying cheater who's bad at his job. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be one of those stories that Jesus says, don't act like that guy, right? Except Jesus seems to tell his disciples to act like that guy. And so I'm thinking, is this, does Jesus have a running bit too? Is this bad advice from Jesus? This is strange. So let's take a look at this story real quick. It's going to be in Luke chapter 16. Uh, We'll be reading verses 1 through 13. So it's going to be this parable that Jesus tells. Note, it's a parable. And it's going to end with uh, some uh, scattered words of teaching related to this subject. So I'm going to invite you to hear these words from the Holy Scriptures. He, being Jesus, also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him, that is the rich man, that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people might receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. And so he said to them, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they might receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, Who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Bad advice from Jesus. I don't know. It's a crazy story. I mean, did Jesus just tell us about this guy who was bad at his job and eventually tried to get out of trouble by stealing from his master And then his master said, hey, that was good? That's a crazy story. Jesus, yes, Jesus told this story. But if we look at it closely, I think we'll ultimately be glad that he did. Are we supposed to be like that guy? I mean, the the master in the story said, hey, I commend you for your shrewdness or your wisdom. And Jesus goes on to say, hey, use your unrighteous wealth for good things. So we're supposed to be like this guy. I wonder, I wonder about this. This guy, he's about to get fired, okay, because he's bad at his job. 
So he's going to get fired. And so when he's about to get fired, he's going to do desperate things because he doesn't have anything. So he's desperately grasping at straws to save his own skin. And what does he do? He basically cuts into his master's profits on the way out the door. It's kind of like kicking you while you're down. And listen, this guy can't be a good guy. Even Jesus, as he's telling the story, in verse 8, he, he calls him the dishonest manager. After he's gone to all of these people who owe his master money and say, hey, you owe 100, how about 50? I mean, it's a good deal if you're the one who owes the money. It's not a good deal if you're the one waiting for it to get paid back. And Jesus refers to him as dishonest. And yet... The master in the story, the rich man, the, ma- the, the one who owns everything in the story, the Bible says, commends him for his shrewdness. That's another way of saying, hey man, that was pretty wise what you just did there. What? So, what does that mean? Are we... Uh, are, how are we supposed to read ourselves into this story? Are we, is God the rich master and we are the other guy and Jesus is telling us, hey, look, it's okay to not be honest? I don't know about you guys. Maybe I was raised wrong. I don't know this. It could have been my raisin. But I, in my mind, dishonest is not something that Jesus would want you to be. Anybody else? Dishonest, I've never heard that go along with good stuff. So I'm not quite sure. This is a tough one to read. One thing we've got to remember, though, is that parables are not always a one-to-one comparison. Sometimes they are. Like, you remember Jesus tells the story of the guy who's, who's a farmer who was sowing seed and it fell on rocky soil and thorny soil, etc. Jesus comes right out and says, this means this and this means this and this means this. It's pretty clear. Sometimes parables are more of an impression than they are a one-to-one comparison. And so in order to really figure this out, we've got to figure out why in the world, one, the master said this guy did a good thing, and two, what does it mean for us? And so in order to do that, what we've got to do is back up from that question a little bit. Before we start trying to dissect what the man did and how in the world was that good, and why is Jesus saying, be like that, let's back up a minute, because this parable, this story Jesus is telling, is actually painting a worldview from the beginning that we could miss if we're not careful. We can get so caught up in the action of what's going on that we forget that the whole parable is, takes place in this worldview that's actually very alien to our own, very alien to the ones that Jesus told this parable to. You see, it starts out setting the scene. There was a rich man who had a manager who managed his property and was doing it poorly. Okay? You can't miss this because this is the key to the whole thing. You see, the manager was managing the rich man's property. That's his whole worldview. The manager is a steward of somebody else's things. He has stewardship over it. It's held in trust. And his job is to move the master's interests forward and to do what the master needs to be done with it. That is what it means to be a steward. And so what you see is this whole parable sets up this idea of relationship with things as stewardship. As this is not mine, I manage it on someone else's behalf, and how I manage that matters. And it's in that context that the whole story takes place. Nothing the manager had was his own. It was all his master's. 
And if you can, you have to do some inferring on this, but think about this. The fact that he's about to get called into the boss's office and he's worried about where he's going to live tells me what? He does not have his own place to live, right? He's got to squander someone else's money. So, so I want to be so nice to you so that when I'm out of my job, you all let me stay at your house. Uh, I did you a solid, can you do me one kind of thing? Let me just crash in your couch just one night, I promise. He has nothing without his master's provision. Everything that he has has come from the master that he's working for. And his job was to manage what he was given for the master's gain. That's what it means to be a steward. And so Jesus is painting this picture for his disciples and then for us uh, that really is, is the key to the whole thing and, and shows us a glimpse of what kingdom life is actually like and what it means to follow Jesus. The same thing that was true for that manager is true for us that nothing that we have belongs to us. But I have a deed. Yes, you do. But I've got a note at the bank with my signature on it. You might, but let me tell you a story. When I was a kid and my dad brought home a new car, I was like 10 or so, and why did I get excited? It wasn't my car. I don't know. Every time dad brought home a new car, I was like, oh, man, let's see if the air conditioner actually blows in the back seat. Maybe it no longer smells like my stale McDonald's french fries. This is going to be great. And I say, Dad, Dad, you got a new car. He said, son, I don't own this car. The bank owns this car, which turns out to be true for half of the things, right? It doesn't belong to us. Our wealth, our stuff, our life, our salvation, our relationships. You might have it in hand, but the consistent teaching throughout Scripture is that everything belongs to God. And we are entrusted with it for a time. The Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, I did try to look into the ancient Hebrew because what I wanted to find was a clause that said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, except for what Jim Morrow has his name on. I really wanted to find that, you see, because I got some cool stuff that I really want to keep for myself. But it wasn't there. Our wealth, our possessions, our life, and our salvation all belongs to God. And Jesus continues this teaching and in this parable teaches us that we are like the manager, tasked with using what has been given to us for God's gain. Did you earn your money? Likely so. But through your hard work, the Lord blessed you with compensation to be used for his gain. Did you wake up this morning with breath? I hope so. Otherwise, somebody call 911. We have an emergency in the church. And you didn't do that yourself. God gave that to you so that your day could be used for God's gain. Have you been given mercy? You didn't earn that. God gave that to you to be used for God's gain. That's the key. That's the whole, that is the, the worldview that this parable begins with that really helps us understand all of the rest of it. That in the kingdom of God, we recognize, that followers of Jesus recognize that everything that we have is a gift from God. And how we use that matters to God because we have been entrusted with everything to bring glory to God. And so when the heat was on and the manager is about to get fired, he makes a very important turn. See, this is strange. You get the impression that the manager uh, was not really doing good with the master's money. In fact, right at the beginning, he's accused of mismanaging the master's property. 
And you can get the impression that what he's done is he's taken the master's stuff and he's leveraged it for his own little gain. Maybe, maybe TJ, you owed uh, 60 uh, measures of oil. I know how you like your oil, TJ. Um, I can tell. And what I did was I said, TJ, the master, he really wants 100 from you. And maybe I take a little off the top. Who's going to know? You know, Tim, Tim owes 40 mowers. Tim, the master, says you owe him 80. You see, it seems like what the, the manager is doing in so many ways is, is taking what is the master's and hoarding it together for his own gain. And what a burden that is on the people that owe the master money to owe more than they have to. It's like an indentured servitude. You can see that, that what he's doing is he's hoarding to himself and leveraging to himself what the master gave him to use for the master's own gain. But when the heat is on, oh, don't you love it when the heat is on, when you're about to get caught, how everything changes? Oh, my goodness. We'll do a lot of things we wouldn't have done when we're about to get caught. The master or the, the manager, he's about to get caught. And so he's got to go and try to make good, and he doesn't have a lot of time to do it. He finally makes this turn. And he doesn't do a great job at it, and his motives are bad, and he's not necessarily a great guy, but he still makes this turn from using the master's property for his own hoarding gain to using the master's property for the good of those who lived on the master's property and to increase the master's influence there. The difference was, before he gets caught, it is tight fist to me. And then when the time comes for him uh, to have to face the music, what does he do? But he takes what is grasped in his hands and he says, you, you owe a little less. And what would you feel? Oh, that would be, how many of you would just love it uh, if your banker would send you a little note? I'm not looking at anybody. Would send you a little note and say, oh, by the way, you owe half of what you did 10 minutes ago. That'd be good. The IRS said, oh, come on, I want to give you more refunds. We'd love that. It would be a, a somebody, did somebody say amen? Oh, yeah, it's probably not, yeah. Whew. But, you know, I got to admit, that, that would be a burden lifted. And so what this guy, this manager has done is he's, he has bad motives. He's doing it for himself. He's not a great guy, but he's taken what he's hoarded and he's released it for those under the master's care. That's a big shift. Motives are not good or bad. That's a big shift. And, and on top of that, not only with what he's done with the money, I mean, he has increased the master's influence. Now, he's probably cut into the master's profits. The master's probably lost money. But let, let, me, let me ask you this. Morris, if, if you owed somebody money and I told you that you owed him less, wouldn't you like that guy a little bit more? Man, the guy who gave me money, he's really nice. I have a new affinity for him. And so not only has he released that, he's also increased the master's influence among those on whatever land he's got. He's made this huge turn from hoarding tight-fisted me, me, me with his money and his mercy. Note that it's both things. And he's unleashed them out for the master's benefit. And also for his own. Let's not pretend this is a good guy. He's still going to get fired, but there's a lesson here. His motives were questionable. His uh, actions were selfish, but he finally stopped hoarding what was given to him at the expense of others. And if we look deeper, it's not just property. It's mercy and grace. It's mercy and grace. He increased the master's influence with the people there by opening up his hands. 
And he finally makes that turn from hoarding to releasing. From saying, this which is not mine is actually mine, to saying, this which I have is a gift from my master to be used for his purpose. He finally shows an inkling, a glint of being a steward. That we can hoard our stuff, we can hoard our wealth, and we can hoard our mercy, and we can hoard our grace. So when he goes up to the master and the master hears about this, I wonder if the conversation might have sounded like this. Son, if you would have just done this from the beginning, I wouldn't be taking your keys from you right now. You see? So it's not like when the master says, I commend you for being wise, that you are wise from stealing from me and wise for being dishonest. No, no, it's this moment. That was how it was supposed to be all along. Not to excuse anything he's done. And there's nothing in the story that makes us think that this man did not get fired. But on the way out, let me give you a word of advice. It was supposed to be like this from the beginning. What's mine is entrusted to you for my purposes, not yours. And it's kind of like for whose benefit would he say that? How many of you have ever had uh, employees that have worked for you? Or, or students that have worked, that you to, sometimes you, when something happens, other people need to see the consequences so that they learn from it, right? It's kind of like why, why I love my little brother, but I will always have a humorous resentment towards him because I made all of the mistakes in the house and he had the luxury of sitting on the couch and watching me pay for them and then he never made those mistakes. You learn. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. Why didn't Stephen ever get in trouble? Because he didn't do everything you did. Um, you see, all I can imagine the other employees there, and I can imagine us here, because we hear this passage of Scripture now echoing through time. That was wise. Oh. So if I do it like that, when I'm held to account, I win my master's praise. When I am a steward. When I am a steward. Be a steward of the master's property. Do you see the big picture? Everything that this man had belonged to someone else. And what he did with it mattered. And so where are we in the story? Where are we? I'll try to wrap this up quick. It depends where where are we in the story. It depends on what view we have about what we have. Can you think of anything right now that if someone were to call you right now and say, hey, that was stolen, that it would make your heart beat really fast? I do. Until we can reckon with this mindset of stewardship, until we can with our whole heart say everything that I have is a gift from God entrusted to me for a time for his purposes, where are we in the story? We're the dishonest manager. And like him, we will be held to account for how we use the things that we have. We'll be held to account for how we use the mercy that we have been given. And so for just a few moments, there's an opportunity for us to really think about that. How do we, how do you, how do I, how do we view our wealth and our possessions, for example? I want you to think about that. And to help you think about that, I'll tell you a little story while you mull over that to help you think. I read about this. This is an old Indian parable uh, about this guru who had a star student. 
And this star student, really, he was coming up into his own, and the guru was so pleased with the student's spiritual progress that he said, it's time, my dear student, for you to be left on your own. And so this little disciple lived in a mud hut, and he made his uh, living off of the generosity of others. He would go into the nearby village and beg for food, and they would lovingly give it to him and return to his mud hut. And the only clothing he had was a little loincloth, And every week or so, he would wash the loincloth. And uh, one day when he did that, as he hung it out to dry, he discovered when he came back to get it that it had been eaten by rats. And so he had to go back into town and beg for another loincloth and beg for food. And it happened again and again. So he decided, since the rats are eating my loincloth, I'm going to get myself a cat. And that took care of the rats. But then when he went into town to beg for food, he had to beg for milk for the cat. And so he'd go and beg for milk for the cat because the cat ate the rats that ate his loincloth. And so he had a loincloth and now he had milk, a cat, and food. And so because that was a burden, he decided that since this cat needs so much milk, I'm going to get a cow. I'm going to get a cow to milk so I can give the milk to the cat and onward down the line. It's like the 12 days of Christmas, this story, I'm telling you. And so then what he had to do is when he went to town, he had to beg for food and he had to beg for hay to feed the cow. And so he decided what he would do is that uh, in order to feed the cow, he would till the ground around his hut and he would plant in the ground around his hut. But he soon found that he had no more time for his contemplation and spiritual exercises because he was spending all his time farming. So he hired servants to tend to his farm. Well, overseeing those laborers became quite a chore. And so he got married. Uh, This is not why you get married, by the way. This is just a story. You don't get married so someone will do your work for you. Okay. So, but anyway, this guy decided that if he was married, that his wife could help him with the farm. But his wife didn't like the mud hut that he lived in, and she wanted a real house. So the man had to grow more crops so that he could get more money, so that he could build a real house, and he had to have more time uh, and servants to keep his wife happy. And so over time, this disciple became the wealthiest man in the village. And years later, his old guru came through town, and he was shocked as he left the young man with a mud hut and a loincloth. And here we are with a vast estate with vineyards and orchards and fields and fields. And the guru said to his student, what is the meaning of this? And the student said, you will not believe this, sir, but there is no other way that I could keep my loincloth. What do we need? What do we need If you're anything like me or anything like loincloth man, you can convince yourself that you need a lot. What do we need? How important is it to our heart? We can justify anything. Anything. Just take me to Best Buy and I will show you. Think about how do you view your wealth and your possessions. Think also about how How do we view the mercy and grace shown to us? Somewhere along the line, we forget that we were once sinners, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we can come to the place where we think, I earned that. I earned this goodwill. I earned this sight in God's eyes. I earned the applause of people, and we will take that. And when other people need grace, we might decide that they're not the right kind of person for it, that they strike me just the wrong way. They don't believe just like I do. They hold different opinions. Or maybe if they would have lived life differently, they wouldn't need grace from me. And what we're doing is hoarding what was given freely to us. 
How are we stewarding mercy and grace? You see, stewardship's not just about money. I know you think that when you hear about it in church, but it's about everything that God gives us. Just think about these things. And so when we look at it like that, this parable kind of stings. <laughs> it stings me a little. I honestly, almost on Wednesday, I almost decided to preach something else. Um, because I was reading it, and I was like, I don't like the way this is going, Lord, because I'm typing on my Mac, you know. Um, You don't need that, son, but I do. Uh, But sometimes the Lord says to me, I'm going to preach to you, and then you're going to preach to people. This makes me uncomfortable. There's some stuff in my life that's closer to my heart than I would like to think. But the purpose of this story and any story in the Bible is more than indictment. You need to know that. It's about grace. The story teaches us a few things. A few very important things. It teaches us that what we have is not ours. It has been entrusted to us. It teaches us that we will be held to account for what we do with what we have. It doesn't happen in secret. Just because you don't see it happening does not mean that it's not being accounted for. We learn that what we do with our stuff has an impact on our discipleship. It does. Sometimes we mistake faith for the spiritual thing and our stuff for other things and that they're separate and that's just not true but the most important thing that we learn is that we can change our relationship with our stuff we can change our relationship with wealth and possessions that's what this manager does and that's why he's commended we can change our relationship with wealth and possessions and with grace and with mercy it might be worthwhile just as a simple act today to find something that you find really close to your heart that makes you really proud to have or to own or as you balance your checkbook and say hey it's the end of the month and there's still something in there to say thank you God for giving this to me I want to use it for you in some way by caring for my life by caring for my family by blessing someone else by blessing your mission thank you Lord for this with what you've given me it'd be a good way to start in fact if you were to Maybe once a day, say out loud, thank you, Lord, for this thing that I'm enjoying or this thing I'm able to use for someone else. You might find that you are making the same turn that that manager made, where you're recognizing that what you have is a gift from God, and that will change everything. There's a story that Fred Craddock told, or a quote that Fred Craddock tells. He's a a deceased now preaching professor, and I'll close with this. He says, most of us this week will not christen a ship or write a book or dine with the queen or convert a nation. More likely, the week will present no more than a chance to give a cup of water, to write a note, to visit a nursing home, vote for someone, teach a Sunday school class, share a meal, tell a child a story, go to the choir practice, or feed the neighbor's cat. But remember, whoever is faithful in very little will be faithful in much. None of this is ours, but it is given to us because God trusts us. We are disciples, and disciples are stewards, using all that we have to glorify God and God's purposes. And I pray that it'll be so for me. I pray it'll be so for you and for all of us together. Can we pray that for each other? Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that you would entrust us with a life that you would entrust us with relationship, that you would entrust us with what we need to live and with more than that. Father, help our hearts to open more and more that the grip that things have on us could be loosened so that we might truly honor you and be honest 
and commendable managers of what you've shared with us. I pray that grace for everybody. And may we know the joy that comes each time we do it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, if you felt the